0: Like, honestly, w- one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is is vetting for hiring to make sure that, you know, I build a go- good team around me and not not a team. You know, i of fans who you know, tell you how wonderful you are. In fact, quite the opposite. You know, you need people around you who can challenge you, who can challenge the business, challenge their colleagues and who are all in it for the same reason, which is the why for the customer. Um, and that energizes me like is working with people, working with customers and, you know, and keeping, keeping focused and not letting the bad days or the bad, you know, the bad things that happen get in the way of what you're ultimately trying to build.
1: Welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about Irish innovation. This podcast interviews entrepreneurs, investors, creators, global leaders, talks to them about what they're working on right now and what we can learn from their experiences. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Irish Network, a not for profit organization which aims to highlight Irish innovation all over the world. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. On this podcast, we are joined by Paul Byrne, no relation, who's the CEO of Xi. He actually became CEO of Zy in October 2016 after being a customer of the company for several years before. He actually shares the story behind that in our discussion today. Prior to joining Zy, he was also a serial entrepreneur. Most recently, he had founded Accelerate Success to provide mentorship and capital to select high-growth, ambitious software companies. He had also founded Cadency, a SaaS workflow and financial automation business, where he grew revenue to about $60 million over four years and then sold the business in 2015. He's got even more experience before that. So he shares not only his experience of being CEO of Xai and scaling that business internationally, but also his experience of being an entrepreneur and what that meant and what it means to take a business from a growth phase and scale it further a quick note before we begin today's podcast we are going to be hosting a live event in new york on thursday the 16th of june at the irish consulate this event will be focused on the battle against misinformation and how prevalent it is in society this is An amazing panel of experts, Samantha Barry from Glamour Magazine, Maliki Brown from the New York Times, Paul Quigley, the CEO of Newswhip, are coming together to discuss this topic and to answer some really important questions in regards to how we actually foster much needed transparency around this issue, but also how do we battle against the rise of deep fake videos and niche platforms where people are disappearing into filter bubbles and being lost in their own truths. So a really fascinating event. Please join us if you're in New York. More details at digitalirish.com forward slash events. Now on with the podcast. Paul Byrne, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So, I'd love to uh, take you back to when you first started at Currency Fair. Um, what was it that attracted you to Currency Fair? What were the things that made you think that this was uh, something that you wanted to be a part of?
0: Well, to be honest, I need to go back a little bit further. There's a bit of a backstory to this in the sense of I was a customer of the company first before I became involved with the company. And, you know, I've started three other businesses in the US before, um, one in Chicago and two in Texas. And when we sold the last company, myself and my other two Irish co founders, and we, well, they stayed on in, in the US, but I decided to move back to Ireland. And I was using Currency Fair in order to be able to transfer back some of my uh, money to Ireland. So I was, at, well, I was familiar with the company. I didn't know anybody working there, but I knew about the company and what the, you know, the service it offered, um, which was fantastic service. So after about six months of being retired, um, I, I bumped into one of the investors in Currency Fair who asked me to kind of get involved a little bit. I'd known him for about 15 years and um, go in and mentor the CEO, Brett. Myers at the time and after about 6 weeks of mentoring Brett Brett asked me to come in as the CEO and take over from him he wanted to step aside because he realized that he could start the business but scaling to the next level wasn't his skill set you know and I had done it be, I had started and scaled a couple of times before so I had a bit more experience in that and I was delighted to get involved um, for many reasons first of all I thought it was a great offering a great product in the sense of it offered customers like me great value in terms of moving money cross border and secondly the business was well run economically like it's not one of these businesses where you get everything away for free it's a commercial commercial business and i just thought like it was a good opportunity to build something out of ireland you know i've been successful in the us several times but i could see you know the value to build like a global company from uh, europe And I got pretty much got involved and that was the start of it. So we basically focused in on how to grow and scale the company. First of all, in Asia, um, and we we saw that the European market was very competitive. So we moved the orientation of our business into Asia and started working in Hong Kong and Singapore. We got licensed there. Then we successfully got a bank, Standard Chartered Bank, to invest in the company during COVID, which was interesting in its own right. And Trying to do everything over Zoom. Yeah, and now we've just launched in the US uh, last month, so that's why I'm I'm actually in New York this week, um, and in order to try and grow and develop the business. So like it's it's been an interesting um, interesting journey, you know, like all businesses, it has its ups and, it, and its and its downs. But the most important thing is to stay true to yourself. And we are a mission driven business, in a sense of you know we really fight hard to give our customers the best value in the marketplace and. You know, we really have a very high NPS score for our customers in terms of what the value they get from the service as well. And that, that's what kind of keeps us going is to know we're doing the right thing by our customers all the time.
1: When you mentioned that, you know, you came in to be a mentor to the CEO who after a few weeks realized, hey, I am the CEO to establish this, but I'm not the CEO to uh, scale this. That's actually quite noble in a way where they're almost like looking at it from the perspective of, hey, like what is best for the business rather than what is best for me as an individual? So that's um, a really interesting learning there. I think like a lot of like entrepreneurs can actually learn from that of like knowing when is best to kind of bring in the right people to continue growing the business. You know?
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and Brett, you know, Brett is a pretty straightforward guy. In fact, you know, he uh, he and I are still quite close. So I would you know meet him every every uh, couple of months um, for coffee or, or a beer just to catch up on what's going on in the business. And yeah, it, it was a pretty noble thing to do. Like not every entrepreneur, you know, would be as open as Brett was to doing the right thing, but a company like most entrepreneurs, it's their business, it's their baby. Um, but like, you know, I've studied a lot, a lot of uh, business. I've been involved in many businesses. Um, you know, and when I talk to Brett or anybody else, I say to people, look, there's different phases of a business. There's the whole startup phase. You know, when you're small, five, 10 people, you know, everybody's really energized. You're all working together. Everybody's solving every problem. So it really is like a collective and that's great until you get you know, your first million of revenue and you've got 10, 15 employees, but then you start to kind of grow and scale and deliver and try to get bring in structures and hire more salespeople and move away from a very founder-oriented kind of management structure, it gets really complicated. And that's where most small businesses fail. Like the vast bulk of um, small companies, you know, don't scale past 50 people um, because, the CEO or founder didn't realize that you have to change the way you do things when you get to be a little bit bigger. Um, And I've, I've seen that, like we, we, you know, we didn't always get it right ourselves in our, in the previous companies we had, but we did learn and we did write things down. So we've developed a playbook for how to start and scale and grow and develop a company based on, you know, learning from the mistakes we made to try and make sure we didn't make them with the second time around so we've had three successful startups and or scale ups and, and exits and you know the third one obviously was more successful than the second one which is more successful than the first one probably because we learned more as we went along and we made less mistakes the second and third time round than the first time um, and it's just that's what it is you're always going to make mistakes it's figuring out you know how you make less of them and, and how you you know Take risk to grow and scale the business, but take it in a in a much smarter way as you, as you as you learn more, you know, as you, as you go along in life. Um, but you anyway, right. It's it's a very valid point. Like, and a lot of reasons companies don't succeed is they just don't know when to make that change or when to you know when they need to make the change from a from an operational point of view or leadership point of view or even an, an attitudinal point of view. Um, and it was easier for us because we figured out early on that if you're very mission driven and start with the why, and you're really focusing on solving customer problems all of the time, it gets a bit easier to make those management changes because you're always looking back at the why and why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, what problem are we really solving for here? And if you're totally customer centric and customer focused, then the personalities of the individuals is less important because honestly, like in every startup, the first few customers you bring in, they're generally, sales that are done by the founder, right? And it's all based on personality selling, you know, with, to, to your first couple of beta customers. Um, but if you don't move away from that culture and into a mission-driven or very customer-driven culture, it does get quite difficult to scale.
1: You know, I have a couple of questions there. I think firstly, you know, you mentioned that you've had a couple of startups before and, you know, you've learned each time Um It seems that you yourself are like, you know, you're very driven and, you know, you've been able able to overcome like even hard days to see success. Like you even mentioned that not every day is perfect, but, you know, you keep growing, you keep developing. What are the things that are kind of, what drives you? Like, how do you kind of overcome the difficult days and continue growing a business Um, and especially growing a business in a time like now when there's a lot of uncertainty in, in the market?
0: I guess what keeps me going is just and energizes me is, is like success, you know, and focusing in on, on trying to build something. Like I'm coming like from an, um, like a farming background, so my, both my parents were entrepreneurs. And so I've always been interested in building things and developing things. And that's what keeps me going is like figuring out what to build and how to build it and how to develop and scale and working with good people. Like, honestly, one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is is vetting for hiring to make sure that, you know, I build a go- good team around me. And not not a team, you know, I'm sick of fans who you know, tell you how wonderful you are. In fact, quite the opposite. You know, you need people around you who can challenge you, who can challenge the business, challenge their colleagues, and who are all in it for the same reason, which is the why for the customer. Um, and that energizes me, like, is working with people, working with customers, and, you know, and keeping keeping focused and not letting the bad days or the bad you know the bad things that happen get in the way of what you're ultimately trying to build. And and I think that's a lesson I always say to people, you know, that I mentor from time to time is look, just stay focused on the long term. Business is a long term it's a long term thing. You know, it's like I use a lot of sports analogies and um, when I'm talking to you know people and I'd say look, you take the baseball season, like in the baseball season's a hundred uh, over 180 games. No team wins every single game. I mean in fact most teams' winning percentage is probably you know between 0.5 and 0.6, 0.65, right? The top team's been you know winning two-thirds of their games, but that means they lose one-third. But they don't you know they don't dwell on the one-third; they're focusing on the two-thirds that they're winning, and that's really what we t- we try to focus in on is w- what's working. If it's not if it's not working, how do we fix it? Uh, and, and, and what's the bigger picture in terms of what we're trying to accomplish and, and just keep people energized and, and let them kind of help energize me in terms of their ideas. And, you know, because the best ideas don't come from me, they come from everybody else in the company, you know, pulling forward, the right, doing the right thing by the customer.
1: That's such a great analogy, because I almost feel like that if you were to, you know, think about that, even for like, you know, um, you know, your fiscal year or something like that, you may go through a few bad days in a row. But then like, you know, if you're able to recover and learn from it and develop from it, you're going to rebound or like at least like be able to kind of uh, pivot if needed be, if needs be. But if you dwell on the failures and you dwell on the uh, the bad days, but don't learn from them, you're probably going to have more bad days as a result because of that.
0: Correct. Yeah, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, like um, I would say, most entrepreneurs are glass, glass half full. Some are way too optimistic, and the glass is always full. And that's also a challenge and a problem. You know, in terms of building a business, you need to be you need to be measured. And you need to be calm, and yeah, and you need to like, focus in on what's what comes next. But you're absolutely true. If you, you can get yourself into a negative spiral pretty quickly, you know, if you let the, all the problems get on top of you. And you know, every business and my other companies were incredibly successful, but we we did have bad days, you know, in those companies, and things didn't go well, and customers were unhappy, and all kinds of things happened. But you just persevere, and you keep building and improving every single day.
1: One thing I'd say is like, I mean. It seems like that currency pair, uh, uh, generally over the last few years, has seemed to have more good days and bad days. If if I'm looking from an outside perspective, anyway, you know, you mentioned that you've expanded into APAC and now recently into the US. Like, um, you know, when you're thinking about like, hey, we need to focus on the consumer, um like what were some of the challenges that you faced as you kind of started looking at markets like APAC and Americas, like coming from an Irish background and, and trying to make sure that you were still focusing on the consumer while also, uh, you know, navigating potentially cultural differences or, um, you know, uh, markets that have like slight variations in regards to how they
0: operate? Yeah, well, the first thing we did was to focusing on the market itself because and you can't do that remotely. So, you know, so we traveled to the region. So one of my management team relocated to Hong Kong for a year before we launched. So we'd understand the market intimately um, and, you know, we built from the ground up. And second, so we so when we launched, we had a good understanding of all the competitors. We had a good understanding of what the market needed, and a lot of what we do actually now is focused on business payments, not just consumers. So we have two brands now: one is business, which is Zai, and one is consumer, which is Currency Fair. And consumer is basically you know effectively high network individuals. And so we we learned on the ground, we built the relationships, we talked to the right people, uh, and then we understood the cultural nuances, whether it's the the way you present your products, the way you know, the UX design, whether it's the, the languages uh, that you need to uh, support and the current, in our case, currencies and markets you need to support. So we built, that's the way we built it. And similarly, when we, you know, launch in other markets, we, uh, if we're not going to be on the ground ourselves, we'll, we'll find a local partner and someone who understands the market, you know, really, really well so that we can leverage their knowledge and their skills. And in the US, obviously, it's been a little bit easier because I've spent, most of the last probably 20, 25 years in the U.S. back and forward, you know, doing, the, doing running the, the individual businesses. And, and I even took a company public on NASDAQ back in the late 1990s from Dublin. So you have a pretty good knowledge and, and, and network in the U.S., and um, I would said that, you know, the rest of the team don't. So, you know, for example, this week, we've had uh, three team members here. One of them is going to be here for a bit a month, another one will be here for about two weeks, and they'll come back again now to go off, and they'll learn, they'll follow up on their contacts, and they'll come back and we'll hire people locally, a lot more people locally and start building with local knowledge. And, um, you know, and that's the way you, you do it, you should never assume anything. You always have to you know verify it and and validate you know and um, that's how you can work around the, the the cultural differences and the market differences. It's you know it's just based on making sure you immerse you yourself deeply into into the market and and I go back to what I said earlier. You really need to focus in on the on the why. Like wh- why would somebody buy from you? What do you have that makes it valuable for them? you know, why would they switch from the current provider to you? You know, and all those things you need to understand quite well before you launch. Otherwise, you're just launching and spending without having a clear objective in mind.
1: You may, Obviously, you have the background in the U.S., but some of your team don't have the, the same background. And obviously, they're they're learning at the moment. And, you know, you mentioned that you're actually in New York and uh, at the moment and with some of the team. But um. How was kind of uh, ramping up the team uh, during the pandemic? Like, how were you able to kind of pivot to make sure that they were still getting that knowledge, still immersing themselves in a time when travel and like kind of in-person connections wasn't as easy to facilitate?
0: No, that was quite difficult, David, uh, to be honest, because, you know, you couldn't meet people in person, as you rightly said. So everything was being done by electronic, you know, video calls and like things like Zoom or Google Meets. Our team, Microsoft team, so it was it was quite challenging, and, and to be fair, like like most businesses, we didn't grow very quickly during COVID, particularly on the business payment side, where it's much more commercial arrangements, commercial contracts. Businesses need to see see the whites of your eyes before they you know trust you with their money, and um, so the, that part of the business didn't grow very aggressively during COVID, and that's really taken off now post COVID because we are able to go and meet a lot of people in person. And um, whereas the consumer business, which is like completely online, it did very well because people. I had to find a way to move, you know, pay their bills abroad, whether it's a mortgage or you know, school fees or whatever, or pension payments. So people still needed to tra- transact during COVID, and it had to be all done online, in a self-service context because you couldn't go to a bank branch, for example. So, so during the COVID, we did quite well on on the currency fair or the consumer side, because it was all online. Whereas the business side was a bit more difficult. Um. Because you need much more in-person selling and much more relationship building with individuals and businesses. So now obviously that COVID has, you know, has effectively passed, at least from a travel point of view, and you know, the business is doing very well in terms of building new customer contracts on on the on the business side with and working with people and whether it's a partnership or, or direct sale with somebody. So it has it was difficult. I have to admit it wasn't it wasn't easy, but it's like everything else if everybody's doing it the same way as you were, which had to be during COVID, then at least everybody was in the same boat. You know, it'd be different if we were the only ones trying to sell online business payments. Um, everybody was trying to do that. So at least the market was accepting at some level that this is the way life was going to be, you know. And and at that point, you remember, people didn't know when COVID would be over. You know, there was some, if you looked at it from a negative lens, people might think, well, this is the way life's going to be for five or six years. You know, because, So people didn't really know how long it would go on for so what? So we were able to persevere, but not grow as quickly as we as we can currently grow now.
1: You know, you mentioned something interesting about the consumer uh, the consumer business because I was actually just when you mentioned that I thought of uh, somebody I know that um, got stuck in Australia at the start of the pandemic and was still paying their mortgage uh back home but like could not leave australia and i'm just thinking of like he actually ended up getting a job in australia while he was there because he was like i'm stuck here for until they reopen the borders so he was literally doing exactly that like transferring money back home to pay his more just to pay his mortgage just to make sure that whenever he actually managed to get back home he could actually uh he could actually um, you know, still have a place to live. Um, so yeah, I imagine there was some kind of unique scenarios where some people actually it became more important actually to transfer money across borders there um, in a quick and effective manner, you know?
0: Yeah, I did. And one of the big advantages currency fair has is that everything we do is effectively in real time. So in the U.S. payment system, you know, a lot of it's wire and ACH. Wire is very expensive. ACH is a lot cheaper, but it's not real-time. So it's next day or maybe if you're lucky, the same day. Whereas outside of the U.S., we operate generally in real-time payment systems. So use your example of your colleague in Australia. If he was paying money into Ireland from Australia, he would deposit his money into currency fair Australia, and that would arrive real-time from his, from his local Australian bank account. And then he, once he paid out or did the transfer, at the other end, it would it would in real time pay into his his mortgage provider in, in Ireland. Um so so as a consequence, you know, I'll, that was really beneficial for lots of people during COVID because they knew they could pay things in real time. So they could know exactly and trust the system to say, okay, I can track it because if I can't see it being paid in a couple of seconds, then you know I'll I'll have to call somebody, basically. So you were able to build up a lot of trust with people on doing things online because it was real time.
1: I'm also like thinking of like, I'm imagining that there's so many different ways of using this, but one that's also come to mind was like, I remember J1 visa days of like, you know, you'd be over in the U S you'd be working part-time, but you'd still burn through your money. And then you'd be like ringing up your parents going, I need money quick, but it would take like a week to get to you. um just with with like that legacy payment systems and the wire transfers and everything else. Mm. And this, this completely like, just removes that barrier. It's literally like, "Hey, I need money. All right, here it is. There you go." It's almost like, like a, almost, a, a, like as you say, it's a real time transaction. There,
0: you know. Yeah, exa- exactly. So it's very like it's very yeah you know, beneficial for that in terms of if people are stuck and need things happen urgently. You know, a service like ours is very valuable for that. Um, Basically, as well. So, but obviously, from our point of view, we'd like people to use it more frequently than in emergency situations, <laughs> and <laughs> of course, yeah. use it for all, all of their needs. You know, whether it's sending money home, that any cash they do have left over as a J one student, or uh, but most of our most of our currency fair customers are people who do send money home for for mortgages or or their savings, or or we have a lot of people who send money for school fees around the world. Like we have a lot of say American individuals working around the world who, who kids go to school in, in the us still um or go to school in europe um, you know a lot of english people let's say working in asia just children go to boarding school in in the uk or they have a, they kept their house you know they got they get relocated from new york to sydney but to your point earlier they, they still have their house in new york because they have to make their mortgage payments and um, so they use those then you know, to make their mortgage payments on every month um and actually another use case we have um but more relevant to europe is there's a huge amount of UK retirees living in Spain and Portugal, right? Because the cost of living is so much cheaper, the weather's so much better. and um, you know they get better value for their, you know, for their pension, um, and so they literally get the pension paid into a currency fair account every month, and then they spend the money in Spain or Portugal or wherever they're relocated to, or the south of France, where the weather weather is better. And so so we have lots of use cases on the consumer side and on the business side it's it's pretty simple. It's you know, anybody paying a foreign supplier or being paid. So we today we would support let's say a lot of Irish companies who selling selling it like are importing from the US. So they'll use they'll just use us to get a better foreign exchange rate and a faster payment to pay their U their US supplier. And we're just launched now, collections in the US. So if you're an Irish company or any company anywhere outside of the, outside of the US and you're selling into America, we can offer you a bank account in your own name to be able to be paid in the US in real, like you know, effectively overnight, but ACH or same day ACH or even by wire. From uh, so, and, and that's your money. You can then do what you want with it or take it out of the States, convert it in real time, bring it back home. So these are the things we're trying to do to kind of enable cross-border commerce from a business and consumer point of view.
1: That's excellent, and you know, I, I want to touch on the 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 business side of the uh, the business to business side of things because, like, uh, firstly, I love the name Zai. I know that uh, that was something I was reading about. Um, I love the origin and the meaning behind it. Um, uh, would you mind just sharing a moment to kind of uh, tell us, like, where the name Zai came from, what it means, and what the inspiration for it was?
0: No, sure. Like we, you know, If I could just go back one step back further, we, we, when we took the investment from Standard Chartered, we also um, acquired a company in Australia called Assembly Payments, which was a, like a workflow company for payments in Australia. And it, it, we merged that company and currency fair together. And that's how we were able to really expand aggressively on the business payment side. But we needed a new brand. We wanted the two companies to come together, you know, collectively um, and come up with a, a brand. So we created a working group of employees and um, we had a facilitator which was an agency out of out of Bangkok and we basically the employees kind of got together in about 10 people and just you know come up with names different ideas and ultimately we narrowed it down to two three and then we voted on, on the on the three of them and zai um, was the winner by a long way it was it was everybody everybody's favorite and what it means is it's japanese for trust so it's a pretty appropriate name for our business in terms of building trust with our with our customers building trust with our colleagues internally, and and in the context of a merger, basically been building trust with our new partners in Australia and vice versa. with so that's the orientation I would so Go back to what I said earlier about being a mission-driven company and being inclusive. You know, the, the, our our employee base or a group of them, a subgroup of them, took ownership, ownership for coming up with an, an appropriate name, and the name they came up with us has has been, is a great fit for everything we believe in
1: absolutely absolutely and then um you know as you've as you've kind of been growing that that business uh, the business side of things and the business payments like um you know obviously when it comes to finance and like uh, you know businesses moving money around trust is like such an essential thing so like um but at the same time it, it as you as you've kind of rightly said like It's such a legacy system that sometimes it's quite expensive. It's quite slow. It's quite laborious. So, how have you been able to kind of um, break, uh, like, earn the trust of like the businesses that you're now working with, and make sure that they kind of see the value of what Zaya is offering them?
0: I would say several things. You know, in our favor, there. First of all, the fact that we're part owned by a bank. You know, gives a give uh, and home by a tier one bank standard charter it gives people a huge amount of comfort you know that we that we are a professional business and not like a startup um sec- secondly we operate bank rate security because they're a shareholder like you know we we operate to their standards for in for compliance for um for tech tech uh, tech resilience and uptime so we like we have a 9.99999% uptime uh, rate and that that really helps people kind of get comfortable with the way the tech works. And and obviously, from a product point of view, we we always to demonstrate to people, look, this is how the, this is how it works. We can show you payments in real time moving between countries in a test account or sandbox basis. We can point you to like several of our large customers around the world who who are work um, marketplaces because like one of the big markets we serve is marketplaces, not just cross border. We also service them domestically. Um, you know, in terms of. Like a food ordering platform, and like a first, like a Just Eat or Deliveroo or Uber Eats, you know, people are going online, and we're processing all the payments in the background all of the time in real time, basically as well. So, you know, so although I think our customers also speak volumes to to how trustworthy we are as a business. And um, we also support crypto, and particularly in Australia, we do about one third of all crypto uh, onboarding, offboarding for pay, like payments in in Australia, basically as well. And that's a pretty resilient market. Um, for us, and then lastly, I would I would say is we understand the industry. Like we we we've hired in really really strong people who understand payments, understand how payments should work both domestically and in a cross border context, and that gives customers a lot of comfort. You know, in terms of the the type of caliber of people they're they're dealing with. You know, they're dealing with experienced payments professionals, not. You know, not a bunch of guys, who, you know, with, with t-shirts with fancy names on the t-shirts. It's basically it is, it's a professional payments business because we're regulated, and we're also regulated in you know a lot of countries. So we're regulated in Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, UK, e- e- EU, and, and the US, and we're currently in the process of um seeking you know approvals to be regulated in other geos as well, and that that gives. Co- particularly medium-sized businesses, a lot of comfort that we are like, you know, highly regulated, a highly regulated business. In fact, if you think about it, we're probably regulated in more countries than most banks are, because most banks are generally either, either local or national or regional. They're not like, there's only probably a hundred banks in the world that are really tr- like transnational in, in, in a lot of geos. So consequently, you know, we are um very heavily regulated uh, regulated business but we compensate for that with technology because the difference between us and traditional banks is we don't have branches so we, our infrastructure costs are a lot lower like on the physical bricks and mortar like we have offices where people come and go or the, at the moment most people work from home but So our overhead costs are much lower. So that allows us to be much more focused on technology and delivering the latest technology to people for payments. And that allows us to be much more competitive on pricing than a bank would be, for example. So we know today on the consumer side, because it's easy to publish rates and it's easy to get access to rates to see what the market will bear and what the market pays. So we know today we're about six to eight times cheaper than a bank to make a firm payment. Right on the consumer side and, and that's very easy data to collect like you can go online and do any kind of yeah google google search and, and see the rates and the and the cost to send money anywhere around the world but any company ourselves or competitors even banks on the business side it's a bit more complicated because businesses generally have more negotiating leverage with banks so they might get a better rate and um, but we offer not just a good rate or a better rate than a bank we also offer speed and security and we offer reporting and we offer embedded and um, workflow so for example we integrate the payments and um, deeply into your into your operating model of your business so consequently everything you do on the payment side is actually come being driven by your, your a dashboard in your business whether it's an accounting system you're using whether it's a marketplace that's ordering and um, you know to for a b2b to c model or whatever systems you're using, that's what drives the payments. So the payments in our world are embedded into your daily life. So you don't have you don't log on to a separate account to do your payments. It's all embedded in, in in what you do every every day. And that that's the huge benefit for businesses. That that takes a huge amount of overhead and cost, you know, and automation um into the business as well, which allows them you know to be super efficient and super automated.
1: It really sounds like that. So it's not just trust by name. It's like really trust at the foundation of everything that you're doing. Cause it it sounds like that, you know, with the regulation, you're being exceptionally accountable. And then with like the dashboards and everything else, you're also being exceptionally transparent with like how you do what you do. So it's, it, it really seems that like trust isn't just the name. It's also kind of the, 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 uh, almost like the values behind what you're doing as well.
0: Oh, it's completely. Like we, like it's all about. I'm a very mission-driven person. Like every company I've ever, you know, started has always been built on, you know, basically engendering customer trust and and you know, starting back with the why are we doing this? Why is it important to the customer? What problem are we actually are we solving here for the customer? So, we're very, very focused in in on the trust element um, and the transparency. And to be fair. It was easy for me and Currency Fair to adopt that, you know, from my previous companies because that was what Brett had built. Like, you know, Currency—the name Currency Fair, the fair element was very important to Brett as a founder, which was, you know, the, which was be transparent, be fair, be upfront. You don't, you don't have to be the cheapest all the time. You just need to be totally transparent that you're going to be try to be the cheapest, and not, you know, somebody might, you know, price you on on a particular deal. But consistently over, over a period of time, you will always be the best value for your customer. And so Brett had had, had that culture inherent in Currency Fair when I when I joined it. So it was, it was easy for me to move that forward with Currency Fair. Um, and that's one of the things that attracted me to the business was Brett's ETHOS was very similar to the ETHOS that I I always have had personally in building my businesses. And you can see that like our net promoter score or MPS score you know, is up in the 80s, which is like very, very high, you know, like most banks, NPS, because people generally, they trust the banks, but they don't like them, you know, it's quite low. So we do, like, we do have a great rapport with our customers.
1: That's such a great mixture then of trust and a great rapport. Uh, Because as you say, I think, like, I imagine that's one of the challenges where it's like, yeah, that um, people trust but like legacy banking institutions, even if they are like more laborious to work with, that they don't like working with them, there's almost like, well, it's my money and I trust them with my money. But the fact that you have both the trust element and the rapport, that adds so much more value then to the relationship overall, you know?
0: Yeah, and to be fair, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and we're, we're able to back that up then in reality, because when customers use our service, <laughs> It is, it's, it's always their money. It's never our money. In fact, even legally, the way the, the, the way our business is structured is when people deposit money with us, a business or an individual, that goes into a, a trust account at a, at a bank. So like, so, we, we hold funds securely and basically in escrow with tier one banks. So effectively, when people are moving money, they're moving it from a trust account at a, say, a Barclays to a trust account at a DBS. So currency fair or size, can never touch your money. We don't like you're, you. It's all electronically driven by a workflow in a business case, or by you an individual on an online context for currency fair. So we're able to back up the trust element by saying, look, the way that money flow works here, and the way the system works is the money never arrives at a currency fair. It always keeps moving through the system, in from tier one bank to tier one bank, um, in a context you know of a of a secured client fund account. So because like you're, you're right, small companies, the first thing a business asks you, well, what happens if you go, you guys go. Belly up, right? You're a small, you're a smaller company. You know, okay. You have a bank as a shareholder, and we said, but well, because your money never comes to us, your money always stays in the banking system with a tier one bank and held in an escrow account. So even if something were to happen to us, your money, your money is sitting in some in a in a in a bank in a secure account. We can't, it's, we we can't touch that money. We never touch that money. It's always orchestrated by you. Whereas, and then we said, then, but so let me ask you another question what happens if your bank goes bust, which has happened, by the way, right? A lot. You lose your money in that context, unless, you, unless you've got, you know, FDIC insurance, you know, um, in the US, but you don't have that level of insurance in every ge- geography and people go, oh yeah, so you guys are more secure than a bank then? We say, yes, we are more secure than a bank. So for example, so if, if we, every one of our banks would have to go bust at the same time for us, for us to have a problem as a company. Whereas if you're banking with a bank, that only the, if that bank gets into trouble, then you're in trouble. And um, so, so in some respects, and not just us, by the way, some um, the, I would say the vast majority of the of our tier one competitors, like the people who operate the same scale we operate at, operate the same model we do, which is you you take all the risk out of out of the business or the software element of the business by operating these uh, like client trust accounts with tier one banks, and that gives your customers confidence, you know, that that the money is secure because it's basically it's, it's kept with a tier one bank. Um, and I also give them confidence that they're in total control of the money at all times. You, you, we can never touch your money. Like if, if somebody rings up with a customer service query to us and says, Oh, I, I made a mistake. I, I meant to, I didn't mean to send the money to A. I meant to send the money to B. Can you, can you sort it out for me? We we all right it says no, we can't sort it out for you because only you can access your account, only you can make transfers from your account. If you want to do a recall, like you know, get the money back from, from customer from person A to pay person B, you basically um you have to initiate a recall and that automatically goes through and processed by the system and by our banks. And then you can initiate your payment to payment people. We can't we can't access your account at all to act to do anything with your account. It's only owned by you and managed by you. And that gives people a huge amount of trust and confidence.
1: Love that. I, I, and it, it's just fantastic to hear. I mean, you know, obviously people, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I, I remember, I can't remember who it said, but it's like, um, the two things that people care most about are their family and their money. And it's like, if, if they need to trust whoever they're, uh, working with on both of those things. So, uh, great to see that this is like something that you've like really driven as like, you know your purpose of like very customer centric, very trustworthy, um, and driven that through the business. So now, like you've just launched in the US, like um, and uh, you know you're over in New New York at the moment. You were in Chicago previously. Um, what does the next like uh, year look like for for Zia for Currency Fair in in the US? Like, what does success look like?
0: Well, success for us basically is just you know establishing the, the business on the ground and getting a lot of customers. So, you know, for example, this is you know, a podcast. I uh, aimed a lot at the Irish uh, expat community, so we'd obviously hope that the the community would look at look online and look at our products, and if they have a need to do make a foreign payment or a cross border payment, that would consider using the currency first solution. Um, as an as an individual, uh, anybody working in a business, we're trying to you know grow a, a cross border business um in the US, so. So, particularly anybody working in like marketplaces or prop tech, you know, where there's a, where there's a cross border element and there's a need for more efficiency and more transparency, we'd hope that use our banking service and not just, by the way, our payment service, not just for cross border. Um, like in some in foreign in some geographies, we do a lot of domestic payments, basically as well. And, you know, and so success for us is just building the business and, you know, continually to work hard to deliver great value for customers, get the message out there, we're currently hiring people. So we, you know, we've, we launched a search for um, sales and business development resources about three days ago, and we already have about 250 applicants. And so, you know, so we, we are getting, you know, some good traction on the ground here in terms of people who know payments and know our business. You know would like to work with us which is which is a fantastic any testament to what we're trying to build and the people who do research on us or, go, or talk to other people who have used us can say well, yeah you can trust those guys you know, they're good guys they know what they're doing they're growing and they're scaling and um, so that's what success looks like for us really is develop the business in the us and sign up as many customers obviously as we can and you know, and then and then service them and have them happy with the service, like have them satisfied with the service. So when we look back, maybe after a year of people using the service, they go, you know what, I got good value from, from currency fair and I got good value from Zion. I'm gonna keep using them because they're good, they're it's a good company to work with. You know, they're transparent, they're fair, you know, things happen when they're supposed to happen, and I'm in total control of my money. That that's really what what keeps keeps us going is keeping customers satisfied and keeping customers, you know, coming back to use us more and more.
1: So, whether you are a consumer or you're looking to uh, uh, move money through uh, with your business, definitely check out the services. And it also sounds like that if you're if you're looking to learn more about the business and potentially even become a, a part of the business, then there's also uh, recruitment opportunities there. Is there anything else that the digital Irish audience can help you with to kind of continue growing the business?
0: Now, well networking is fun. like obviously from our point of view, you know, anywhere around the world because you know this this is a global podcast. Um so like we're not, you know, we we've, we've talked a lot about the US because we're, we're um but at the same time we're still growing globally, we're still you know expanding across Asia, and Australia, uh, all across Europe as well. So and, you know, networking is great. If anybody can, yeah, can wants to reach out and contact me, um yeah, you know, my email is is uh pburn at hellozai.com. You know, we're more than happy to take any advice, any help, any introductions we can from from people to grow and grow and scale. Like we don't have, we don't have all the answers. No business ever has all the answers, or no individual ever has all the answers. So, we're always keen to learn. You know, we're very curious people as a, as a leadership team, a very diverse leadership team as well. So, we're always you know curious to, to develop and, and grow and continue to scale the company. So, every input is always appreciated.
1: Excellent. And we'll make sure to also include your email in the show notes. Uh, So if people want to reach out, uh, please do. Um, But for now, Paul, I just want to thank you so much for taking out the time. I know you've had an incredibly busy week in the U.S. this week. So really appreciate you uh, joining us today uh, to chat through all of this.
0: Thank you very much, David. I really appreciate your time.
1: That is it for this podcast. Thank you again to Paul Byrne for sharing his insights. If you are in New York, do not forget to join us in the Irish Consulate on Thursday, the 16th of June. More details at digitalirish.com forward slash events. If you are listening to this after the 16th of June, check out the website anyway. We've got loads more live events coming up throughout the year. Otherwise, Please do like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And we hope to see you back here again very soon.